Hey guys, welcome to the Hoyt Bow Hunting Podcast. Today is a very exciting day for us, and I'm Danny Ferris, and I'm here with my co-host Alan Bolin. How are you doing, Alan? Hey, Danny, I am riding the Red Bull this morning. Excited, <laughs> excited to talk about the new Hoyt. I spent the weekend with it. It was insane. Oh man, I, uh, I I received mine and and count myself really really privileged to get this early sneak peek at this bow, but I've been playing with it for over a week and just itching to talk about it, itching to talk about it. Today is the day. Um, well, we should get some experts on to discuss it. What do you think? I think so. I think so. We've uh, we are privileged today to have two of the top engineers at Hoyt. To uh, give us a little bit more information about this exciting new line of bows that we're introducing. First off, we've got Zach Kurtzals. Zach, what is your position there in engineering? You're the head dog, right? <laughs> yeah, something like that, Danny. <laughs> I've, uh, <clears throat> Zach Kurtzals. I've been the I'm the vice president of engineering and manufacturing at Hoyt Archery. Uh, been here for almost 18 years. So fantastic. Uh, Fantastic. And me and you have actually had some time to get out in the field and play. And Zach doesn't, Zach doesn't act like your typical engineer. He's a bit, a little bit wild and crazy. He could run this podcast and engineer the bows if he wanted to. Um, I don't know. I don't know about that. But <laughs> I'll take the, I'll take the compliment. And along with him, we've got Brian Gold. Brian, what's your position there? I am the assistant engineering manager for the product team. Well, me and Alan have all kinds of questions for you. I think that uh, um, I, I, I've been itching to go, but I'm going to hold off just a little bit and I'm going to let Alan start off with the questions here. Well, right on. So, yeah, I, I, uh, this weekend I, I spent some time with Kevin Wilkie, who he has a uh, RX-5 Ultra and I have the Ventum 33. So we were both able to shoot those bows and, and we had a a really great time. I'll tell you, the first thing I noticed was the lack of hand shock. So I know that that Hoyt has always put accuracy before anything. Like the Hoyt bow is, I, I think it's going to outshoot anything from an accuracy standpoint. And and I have felt over the years that sometime, sometimes that quest for accuracy has left just a tiny bit of hand shock in the bow and i and it's it's very very mild but you can you can there's some feedback when when the shot goes off uh this new bow has there's it's there's nothing zero feedback in the riser so i'm wondering if you guys could talk about that was that a specific goal you were trying to achieve and 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 how how did you how did you engineer that into a hoyt well, I'll take that one to start with, uh, Alan. I think when we set out at the beginning of this project cycle, we were we really asked ourselves, you know, what are our goals? What's the scope of this project? So on and so forth. But I think at the end of the day, what we were trying to come up with was the ultimate shooting machine. So from the top down, right? Everything from what you talk about, accuracy is king, right? Because it doesn't really matter if you can't hit something, how good it feels. So that's always a number one. But the market has certainly shifted over the past number of years to be, I think consumers feel like it's extremely important for, you know, noise and vibration and hand shock and all those things you're talking about. So those were all major pieces of the puzzle for us, but, uh, there was no stone left unturned. I mean, everything was in question from the pockets to the limbs, to the cams, the mods, you know, the handle, uh, 
everything. So where so you know, I think you're saying think that all our, of those things combined to to low lower the the feedback and the riser and the noise and all those different things. Uh, yeah, that's that. It it took a. It's really the probably the first time in a few years we've taken a holistic approach on the product development side. Uh, we've been a cam and a half. Uh, version cam system for a number of years. And so when we looked at this project, we didn't look at it as just taking a, a similar system and making improvements on it. It was more of a, if we were going to rebuild the system, how would we go about doing that? Hmm. Um, so anything from iteration and risers, there are a lot of years we, we do riser iteration for uh, vibration and feel, but there are a lot of years where we, we cut a, a whole lot of uh, cosmetic samples as well uh, to determine the, to get the look we want or what marketing sales is looking for this year. Year, uh, we just went straight from an engineered riser standpoint. Um, we made it as stiff uh, and rigid as possible to uh, to improve vibration uh, and take out shock, just like what you're talking about. Yeah, it's it's incredible, man. I, I could not believe the first shot out of that thing. It, it felt like nothing happened. Like my hand, it just it just laid there. It was it was unreal. I was so pleased and and thing, so quiet. I was in a small room. It's small room shooting through paper, right? And there was in, in a small room, even a quiet bow. A lot of times, you're gonna you're gonna hear it, you know a decent amount of noise. There was nothing. It was it was. Un- I've got video of it. I can't I can't wait to to post it. It's 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 incredible. Yeah, shooting it side by side with uh, my bow from last year that was fully loaded with all the accessories, and this bow was bare. And it's also the first few shots that you're putting through this bow before you've had a chance to, you know, really let the cables and strings settle in. Usually when a bow bare brand new, that's at its loudest and shoot in it side by side with my rig from last year that got shot a lot because I missed a bunch of things last year. Um, (laughs) uh, It was, it was as quiet as that bow was. I was, it's, it's shocking. It's a, it's a noticeable difference in both the hand shock and and the noise level. Um, I was blown away by it. And, you know, it, there's every year bow manufacturers come out with a new rig and there's lots of years where they're blowing their horn and talking about their new flagship bow. And when the consumer gets it, they look at it and they're like, well, they kind of just changed the bumper on this thing. It's like, it's like somebody took my car from last year and they put a new bumper on it and they're calling it a new car. That is not what happened in this in this bow. This is a this is a different bow than we've had before. Is that correct, guys? Oh yeah, yeah. And I think it you know it's kind of a culmination of of really the last few years. You know, every, from the steps that we took to get into the ZT system to the investments that we made in sound and vibration measurement capabilities. I mean, we we built our own sound room. Uh, we've got way better instrumentation than we've ever had. Uh, so that we can really check and see and measure ourselves against not only the competition, but against ourselves. And so we could really focus our effort on getting better in all of those areas. So, you know, this year's not, I wouldn't say it's just this year, right? It's a culmination of the things that we've learned over the last three or four years. And really, I think with this destination in mind, sort of the ultimate goal is to get to this point. Well, as, as somebody who, over the last week, I had the opportunity to go snatch a few of the other competitors' flagship 2021 bows. 
and shoot them side by side next to this thing. And all I can say is that these Hoyt dealers are going to be happy. <laughs> they are going to be very, very happy this year. It, 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 it stands out. It stands out for sure. Um, so, and go, oh, go ahead. Oh, I don't mean to cut you off there. I thought you're transitioning there. So I'm, I'm wondering if you guys could walk through the ZTR versus the new HBX cam. I mean, the, I mean, the uh, right off the bat, it it looks like an entirely new system, more of a binary cam versus a cam and a half. And, and maybe I'm saying that wrong. So I'd love to get your guys' feedback. Uh, you know, there's no split yoke. Th- this looks like a, a, a completely revolutionized system from what we were shooting before. Can you guys talk about the differences and and then also please your decisions on why why you went that direction? Like what 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 are the advantages? Um, I'll, I'll hop on this one. So when we, when we looked at this, the project for this year, like I said, we, we really, uh, took a whole holistic look at every, every feature cam systems. Uh, we've always been in the cam and a half can system for 20 years since 2003. Right. Okay. Nearly 20 years. And, uh, we, in that time, we've learned a lot about that cam system. We've expanded on it. We've improved it. Um, but in the, in the background here in, in the engineering team, we've, we've also kept an eye on what, what's out there in the industry, what we like, what we don't like, um, features and advantages of other cam systems and technologies that are out there. Um, so, uh, this is a, a brand new system to the, the Hoyt family. Um, it's a uh, three-track system. Um, very the, nothing. You, you know, you you said revolutionary. I wouldn't. I wouldn't necessarily call it revolutionary. But um, we, when we designed the new cam system, we made sure it fit with uh, our expectations in accuracy and tuning, um, aero delivery, all those kinds of things. But but when you stack that on top of uh, the Hoyt risers with with uh, you know. The tech bar, I think that's one thing. Um, that's a recognizable feature that have been on our risers for a long time. And I think a lot of people just see that as, uh, you know, a Hoyt feature. It's part of our cosmetic. Um, but we've, we're building some of the stiffest risers or the stiffest risers in the industry. Um, and we just had, you know, you talked about shock values that some of that um, was some of those, some, some of that shock or that feel came from a cam and a half system and how it works. It hooks a, a bus cable yoke straight to a limb and then ties into the bottom cam. There's a, a control cable that times those cams together and it gives a uh, an input to the system, if you will, uh, mm. a vibration frequency that we are ultimately looking to to dampen and kill out with limb shocks, with string stop, with shock pods. Yeah, um, so the yokes, because they're tied right into the the hardware. I mean, they're tied right into the limbs. So that could transfer some vibration into the limbs that then eventually gets into the riser. It's, yep. It's just a, just a frequency. Yeah. It's a different frequency. And so, uh, this new cam system actually changes that input frequency significantly. Um, and so it, you know, as part of that, we went back and redesigned the riser for that, for that frequency range, uh, subtle things and not everyone will notice your look at the limb shocks. They're different than they were last year. If you look at the shock pods, you'll see some little ribs and lines. They, the, if you, compare them to last year's model they'll be longer than the old one uh, there's some material changes in those as well all of those uh, kind of go back to zach's point earlier where we talked about building a sound room we've done some outside studies with uh, experts in the field of sound and vibration um, so we've gotten in way deep in the details of design 
Um, and those are things maybe not everybody would pick up on at first glance. You know, Brian touched on the frequency piece of this too, but there's also the amount of input. So if you think about noise or vibration as energy, the amount of energy that is dumped into the system then turns into a, a complex problem of how much of that energy we can actually kill or get rid of, right? Before the end user, i.e. the consumer or you guys end up feeling that in their hands. So it's not just the frequency. That's a major portion of it as well. But um, I think as we were analyzing, you know, a move away from cam and a half, because let, let's be clear on that. That was a hard thing for us to, to just kind of go, okay, we're going to go try this. I mean, cam and a half has been great for us for a long time. And so what we figured out is that we were really, really good at killing vibration and, and that energy. Uh, but we had seemed like we had a lot more to kill in that space. And so mm. sort of that analysis of that, of that new system was like, well, we can significantly reduce the amount going in and we already know how to kill it. So it's well, kind of a the tech riser in theory. The tech riser in theory should crush vibration. It's so stiff. The the tech bar, like you said, it's it's got to be the the stiffest riser on the market. And so, if you have lower input into that, you should take full advantage of it. Yep, exactly right. The amount of focus and energy that we spent into iterative, you know, versions of this riser was really centered around that idea of understanding what the new energy, the new um, changes that we needed to make to marry them up with how that energy was put into the system. So um, you're right. The tech riser gives us that s distinct advantage of a stiffness specifically in plane, the direction of the shooter. Um, so it helps us not have to kill some different types of vibration, but um, big, big moves uh, on our development with respect to the handle this year as well. You want to talk about that? Yeah, just some some dynamic measurements and then some just some of the measurement tools that we've got available to us in our software programs this year. I mean, I don't know how many versions Brian did on this handle, but uh, between Brian and, and one, another one of our engineers, Daniel Anselmo, I'll bet the two of them probably designed 30 to 40 different versions of this handle. And hell, I think we cut 13 of them. Yeah, it was one of the bigger numbers we've gone through for sure. Well, why don't we talk about this, the, the, the change going away from the split yoke system? If you're a Hoyt guy like me, it, it, it's, kind of, it, it's a little bit like losing an old friend and I'm a little nervous. Um, so <laughs> tell us how we're, how we're going, to, going to address uh, some of the tuning aspects that we lose from, from not having a yoke system if, if it's needed. Um, yeah, well, I mean, I think that's, that's one of the, one important thing to note there is that, uh, we don't expect any loss in tunability from, from this system. It's just going to be a different way of doing it. Um, so you guys have had them for a few days, you've got them tuned and set up. Um, uh, at some point in that procedure, you may or may not have done some, uh, cam spacer adjustments or some cam shimming. Um, uh, but that ultimately that's, what's available in this, in this system, uh, as it sits, um, that's been in, you know, a lot of, a lot of cam systems in the industry. It's been in cam and a half. It's probably something that we haven't advised heavily. You know, um, you've, the bottom cam has always been able to get, be shifted back and forth, change pitch and change position. Um, we've just kind of focused, uh, our dealers and our customers to, to use the rest for center shot adjustment and then go to the yokes for any further tuning. 
Uh, with this system, you actually get a, an even wider range of adjustment um, because now you can not only, you're not just locked into to, uh, adjusting that top cam with, with some um, questions that may come from any adjustments you make in the bottom. This system uh, aligns really well and you're going to be able to adjust both and you can do them one at a time. Um, we've, de- we've actually developed a spacer tool uh, that, that holds the spacers. I don't, I don't, I doubt you guys have seen one of those yet, but, um, that that'll be at dealers. We'll have those available to those guys. And, and it really simplifies the process. It holds the spacers during the process. We took, a you know, uh, changing spacers, you know, can, can be, um, can be difficult or be frustrating at times. Um, but, uh, with tool holding it, you can take a two to three minute process and turn it into 30 seconds. Um, it's, it's just barely slower than uh, a yoke adjustment. You know what, can I, can I actually quickly explain what we're talking about here in case somebody doesn't understand, uh, the, 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 the tuning stuff we're talking just very quickly in the past, um, with Hoyts, we've been able to yoke tune. So if, if you're moving your rest, a little bit to get to get a bullet hole and you get to the point where you feel like well I'm going to go past uh, what I feel is a good center shot you can then twist one of the yokes and what it does is it causes a little bit of camling and that moves your string over a little bit instead of moving your rest and, and it creates a better center shot um, and so without the the split yoke we can't create that cam lean to move the string and so what we're talking about now is that there there are small washers or spacers on either side of the cam that can be different sizes and so on, let's say on the right it's a little bit big a little bit thicker and on the left it's a little bit slimmer you can switch those two and and, and effectively move your cam over you know uh, whatever it is uh, uh, 32nd of an inch or something. And, and that, that will then move your center shot without you having to move your rest further to uh, the right or left than what you feel comfortable. Did I say that? It effectively moves your string in the same way that, that adjusting those, those yokes and causing a little bit of cam lean did. It moves your string and the whole cam system over to the right or the left, just a, a minute amount is what you were basically trying to say. Which to me, I would much prefer to move the entire cam and leave it straight up and down than to add a little bit of lean to, I mean, I don't, there's, there's nothing wrong with it. Cause I mean, I've done it for 15 years, but, but, uh, the idea of moving the entire cam slightly to the left or right to, to cause a better center shot. It's just, it, it, it seems very clean to me. And I had great success with that this weekend. And it doesn't increase pressures on one limb or another. One Correct. limb versus the other, which introduces different kinds of torques and torque into the system when you do it. Um, it's a it's an effective band aid yoke tuning is, but with this, it's it, you're right. It's it's cleaner. Um, well, we don't like to call it a band aid though. We like to call it just a tool in somebody's tool bag, right? There you go. Uh, but something something that Alan said, I just want to make sure that everybody's clear on. When we shift a cam, ultimately what we're doing is we're just changing um, a little bit how the forces on those cables pull on the cam. And so when we slide a cam one direction or the other, effectively what you get is you might actually get a little bit of cam lean on that top cam, uh, or you might actually straighten that cam up more depending on which way you you know which way you move it. And mm. so traditionally on yoke tuning on on our ztr cams or on on all of our cam and i have traditionally what people did is they would lean that cam sort of towards the either the cable guard bar or the roller mount uh if you're behind the bow and that would that would really help you with deal with a left tear um and then you know conversely or 
on the opposite side of that is if you were dealing with a right tear, you would stand the cam up more straight. Well, we've just eliminated the, the yokes from that equation and now we have this spacer set up and so there's a specific set of spacers that comes on the bow um and and a lot of times what you were saying alan is correct you can just swap those spacers but what brian touched on which i think is a really important piece is cam and a half only we only had one cam that we could play with so we could really only yoke tune the top cam because we really didn't have room on the bottom cam and so what we've done this year is is now since the top and the bottom are fundamentally the same we just have spacing options on both cams. And so you can lean the bottom further to the cable side. Um, if, you know, if you're dealing with a major left hair or you can stand both of those up. So, uh, I think it gives us maybe a little bit higher level of precision or, um, for each one of those moves. That's awesome. So generally in tuning, you would want to get your center shot and then make rest adjustments to try and account for any tear that particular tear that you're getting. And if you can't move the rest enough to get the tear done, that's when you move on to the spacers. Yeah, I would agree with that. The way you said that is about perfect. We, the expect, I mean, there's movement, there's a windage adjustment on a, on every rest that's in the market. Right. So, um, so much of the, of the, determination on how a bow tunes comes from the individual shooter and that could be anatomical or that could just be how they apply pressure to the grip and so first and foremost yeah when you once you start you know utilize that windage adjustment and that rest first and if then you find yourself in a situation where you're like ah that's maybe further out or further in than i want then go to those spacers and 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 make your adjustments there right on guys that's uh had good success with that this weekend. So, um, I'm excited to continue to, to learn this new way. Um, so, uh, let me ask you guys about comparing the RX four to the RX five, the RX four ultra to the RX five ultra and the Axios to the Ventum, um, from, from a standpoint of speed of brace height, um, all, all of these, these sort of, um, hot points that people look at when they're buying a bow like how fast is it what's the brace height what's the axle to axle could you guys go through you know they, they look extremely similar so uh maybe identify the differences instead of the similarities because i think in general they're very very similar yeah um as far as the carbon series goes rx4 um an rx4 ultra to rx5 and rx5 ultra um the short model uh, four to five, you're looking at, uh, a small adjustment to axle to axle. So we were in the 29 inch range, uh, with the RX fours, you're now back up right at 30 inches on the nose, um, on the, on the new bows. Um, but performance is pretty, pretty much on par, very similar. Um, you know, one of the, for, for both geometries are, are very similar. Brace heights are very similar right around six for the short bow. Um, six and three quarter, uh, for the long bow last year in the RX four. Now we're up at seven. So we're maintaining performance with a little bit more forgiveness in that ultra model. I think that's, that's a key point to, to note there. Um, additionally in the, uh, you know, we talked about cams earlier, but in the ZTR cam system, we were doing, uh, two completely different cams. So we were doing a, a number three cam and a number two cam to cover a, a specific, the, the entire draw length range, which is, uh, about five inches. And today we're doing that same five inches in one cam with just two separate modules. And, and that's a, another key difference in, in these, uh, 
in these two product lines. That's very nice for if, you know, after, you know, you've used your bow for a year or two, if you want to sell it or give it to a, give it to a, your kid or whatever it is, you have that flexibility without having to get a new cam. It's really right. nice. Yeah. I noticed also Yeah, it's a pretty significant pitch. change. Oh, that's a big deal. Yeah. It's a pretty significant change when you get to the when you get to talking about the fact that strings and cables and limbs and all of those things are not necessary um, as they have been in the past. I mean, anytime somebody would want to switch from a three to a two, it wasn't just a the different cams, right? I mean, you'd see a significant shift in poundage uh, one way or the other, up or down, and then you also had strings and cables that you had to change. So oftentimes that was not really even an option to people because just to go buy all of those components would gosh, it would get you halfway to a new bow. Yeah. Um, so I think in the, in the space of what this system brings to the table is it's fantastic for us as a manufacturer. It makes things a lot easier. Uh, but it also creates this, this system that's uh, a lot more simple to deal with, uh, in the marketplace, whether it's for a dealer or a consumer. So it's kind of good all the way around for all of us. Yeah. Um, one additional note there for, uh, from what Zach said, when we did number three and number two cams, we we didn't just do it to to catch the draw length range. I mean, one of the commitments from Hoyt is that uh, you know we offer everyone the best experience they can from our products. And so when we design multiple cam sizes, we're ultimately holding ourselves to our our core values and our standards that we're gonna we're going to design that into the the bow that you buy. So we would develop a number three cam and it would have an adjustment range that gave good performance. And then as that performance dwindled towards the bottom of the draw length range, um, just due to cam geometry and design, we would basically design a whole new cam system, a number two size cam. And it, it would seem that it's just, you know, oh, it's a little smaller and it's fine, but it's a whole nother development cycle for that for that product and to offer that performance boost at that 28, uh, you know, 27, 26 inch draw length range. So just so this, Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Brian. Well, just, just an additional note on that. Um, I think a lot of people are going to, going to wonder, you know, can I, with one cam size, can I get, get the same performance? So just some numbers I have off the top of my head, our Axios, uh, was a th th advertised at 342. That's ATA speed at 30 inches and 70 pounds. Um, at 20, uh, our, our new Venom 30 is advertised at the same speed. Uh, they basically have the same velocity at the at the top end of the range. But at 28 inches uh, draw length, that's where that transition happens, where you go from a three cam to a two cam on last year's bow. Uh, in this case, you go from uh, a number three mod to a number two mod. So like what Zach mentioned, last year you were switching limbs, strings and cables and cams. This year you're just going to unbolt the mod you have and bolt the other mod on. Um, the Venom 30 at 28 inches is three feet per second faster than an axius uh, of last year now three feet per second doesn't seem like a lot but last year we were getting that through efficiency so it and cam redesign so we were using an optimized cam an optimized limb a new string and cable set all to get the performance boost at that that uh, transition this year we're using a module and we're getting more performance wow. um it just speaks to the benefits of the new cam system that's huge guys huge that's great. And so, you know, we were talking, you were saying that, you know, the between RX4 and RX5 standard and ultra, we're looking at a lot of the same numbers, a lot of the same brace heights, even even the, the different uh, breaks between the cam, the different cams and now the new different modules are very, very similar. But let's talk about the Ventum. 
Because that's where I think, uh, uh, with everything I'm seeing, that's where the mold kind of breaks. Right. Yeah. Uh, Venom uh, 30 versus uh, Axius, same shift in geometry, right? So still around a six inch brace height, a little bit over, so I think six and an eighth, 30 inch axle to axle. So a little bump uh, and uh, longer from Axius last year um, in the, in the RX four and Axius series bows. When we did the, the short model or the kind of the premier model and then the ultra we left those geometries the same so one of the bigger differences in the product line this year is that venom 33 model uh completely different geometry offering hits a different draw length range kind of a, a performance benefit if you will uh so it's a 33 inch axle to axle six and three eighths inch brace height two two uh specs that we haven't had in the line maybe ever at least exactly those numbers um and uh with a max draw length of 31 now it's it's crossover uh is from 31 to 29 that 29 is that uh number two mod crossover so danny what were you what were you saying about what your ventum was doing well i i was speed testing my ventum 33 and I have it set up at 28 and a half inches and 70.6 pounds. And I'm shooting a 420 grain arrow, shot it through the chronograph. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> last year with the Axios, same setup, same arrow. I was getting 285 or something with my hunting set, my hunting arrow with this venom. It's get, it's getting through the chronograph at 300 feet per second. And I picked up a bunch Um, and, you know, they're telling me I'm I'm on the sweet spot on that cam. All I know is Danny Ferris is very happy and very excited. His pin gaps are going to shrink. (laughs) Pin gaps are going to shrink with less noise and vibration. And that is an anomaly. Um, Usually there's always a trade-off, you know. When you pick up that performance, you're going to lose in either noise, vibration, or draw cycle. And you guys basically avoided that. Yeah. It, it's, it's a little bit magic to me. Um, I, I'm, I'm extremely happy and extremely excited. So guys explain this then. So Danny picked up 15 feet per second, apples to apples side by side. Is everybody going to pick up 15 feet per second or is this, does this have to do with Danny's draw length or explain how this is happening? Yeah, unfortunately, not everyone is going to get 15 feet per second. Um, but w- when we looked at the product line, we we, we saw this <clears throat> this category of archers, specifically 28 and a half inches, where a lot of guys fall into that, right? The, the, some of the, the most popular draw length, uh, at least from old numbers when we did draw length specific cams, you know, you're looking at 29 and then it's 28 and then maybe 27 and then 30. But all those half inch draw lengths fall into those, fall into that range. And so at 28 and a half, if you look at our old uh, uh, previous product lines, in a lot of cases, the short bow was uh, 30 inch uh, max draw length in the big cam. And then it was a 28 crossover. The 28 is where that small cam started. If you look at the ultras, it was 32 and then the crossover would come down two inches and it was 30. And so a guy at 28 and a half never really was, you know, he was always kind of towards the bottom end of the range in that cam, um, which provides a really smooth draw cycle. It really provides a nice shot experience, but it's certainly not, um, it's not in the best location when it comes to optimized performance. So, so to if be you're looking- clear, Brian, just to be clear for the listeners, when, when you look at a Hoyt cam, 
if it says 28 to 30, it is going to be the fastest, the most efficient from a speed standpoint at the very top. So at 30 inches, that yep. same cam at 28, if you have it set at 28, it's not going to be as efficient. So in that case, you could go down to the lower cam, which maxes out at 28. So you'd be at the top of the cam at 28. So you'd get your most, the most efficiency there. And you'd probably want to use that that smaller cam that you max out of 28. But what we're saying is there's these guys stuck in the middle. And and, and that's where th- this really came into play. Right. Yep. We used bow geometry to to develop an offering to hit those guys. So if you're if you're a 29 inch, 28 and a half, even a 28, you, especially if you prefer a longer axle to axle, we made this bow a little bit shorter. 33 kind of puts it on that mark where it's not an ultra. It's not it's not too long. 33 was a premier bow geometry just a few years ago. Um, so it's still a really comfortable geometry, but you, you've got good uh, string angle and good head positioning that can come from that. Um, but it will be without a doubt, the fastest, the fastest offering you can get at 29, 28 and a half, uh, definitely the fastest you can get in, uh, in any bow that's, you know, 33 plus axle to axle. Danny, dude, they custom designed a bow for us. That's exactly right. You know, Zach was talking about simplicity earlier. And one of the things that I didn't mention was that in that speed testing that I was doing, I had my bow set up at 80% let off. Okay. And here in Colorado, it's a law. You know, you can't shoot a bow that's over 80% let off. You can't shoot an 85% let off bow here. But there's a lot of states where it is legal and where guys are preferring to shoot 85% let off and have just a little bit less holding weight at full draw. Well, before it was kind of a pain. The bow would come with an 85% module. But here in Colorado, I had to go buy an, a, a, another small module and swap it out with that one to make my bow state legal. Well, on this cam system, tell us about this little adjustment, this handy, quick, easy uh, little adjustment that anybody can make and 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 know exactly whether they're at 80 or 85%, Zach. Yeah, so um, we actually call that little piece the mod foot. Uh, that foot has two adjustment positions, like you're saying, Danny, 85 or 80% let off. And it's just, you know, it's a, it's a product of this new system, you know, back with cam and a half and how that system built let off. The requirement for us was to basically create a, a series of modules, right? So more complexity for the dealer, more complexity for us as a, as a design team. Uh, but with this system, we're able to just basically make a slight adjustment. I believe it's a T15 torque head. Uh, you just loosen one screw, um, slide it about, I don't know, you know, an eighth of an inch and then boom, there you are. You've got, you, you're down to the 80% let off. So it's, it's an awesome thing. Like you're saying now it's, it's super easy. If, if you decided, if a guy decides he wants to shoot the 85 and, and he's not in Colorado, Montana, or there's one other one I can never remember, but um, you know, you've got that option now and it's really easy to do. I, I think that there's a lot of confusion amongst people. Um, I think the natural tendency for most archers is to think that they're going to get more speed with the with the higher let off, the eighty five percent. Is that true or not true? It's actually the opposite. Um, I, I don't know if you're. I'm not. I'm not sure you'd actually measure it when you go from eighty five to eighty. Maybe if you've got a really good chronograph, but. Right. 
um, the higher that let off, the more potential there is for hysteresis in the system, which is just kind of the hysteresis is, is friction or or anything that robs the system of, of efficiency. And uh, uh, when you have a little bit lower let off, you, you tend to have a little bit lower hysteresis in that same space. So um, so what you're saying is true, but I don't I'm not sure anybody's going to be able to measure it from 85 to 80. Right. Well, to me, I. Uh, I'm one of these that has always felt a little bit more comfortable with a little bit more holding weight. When that holding weight gets too light, I feel less stable uh, at full draw. Um, yep. Does that make any sense? Yeah, yeah. So, I think it just depends on the shooter and the and how you set up your shot. But I'm I'm the same way. Like you know, I I'm a I'm a holding weight driven guy when I when I do my setups. That's I'm not. People always ask me, well, how much how many pounds do you shoot? And it's like, well. It kind of depends on the rig, right? On my target bow, I want a specific holding weight, and I'm, you know, I'm shooting the SVX cams on my, on my Invicta, and and uh, I want to, I dial that in for a holding weight, and it's the same for hunting bows for me. If it gets, if the holding weight gets too light or too low, man, it just gets, it gets really hard to aim. Right, right, and, unstable. And sure. Yeah. So yeah. even even in places where it is legal to 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 shoot the higher let off, you're usually shooting the lower let off. Yep. And I think that's a hundred percent, um, a product of the way that I set up and shoot a bow. Sure. Um, you know, I think everybody's different you know, it just really depends on a who taught you and your, yeah. And your yeah. tendencies. Yeah. Yeah. Um, why don't we talk about this new bottom stabilizer? Yeah. We call that the shortstop, the shortstop. Okay. Yeah. It, it, we've got a new stabilizer hole just above the bottom limb pocket. And uh, where did that come from and what was the reasoning? What's it do for us? Um, so as we as we looked at uh, product for this year, uh, one of the things that we did uh, was look really hard at market changes or trends that have happened over the last few years. And, you know, I would say five years ago, um, definitely, you know, 10 years ago, uh, everybody was running a, a five pin site, you know, a four pin site, a three pin site. It was fairly short. It was fairly lightweight. And over the last few years, as uh, manufacturers have come out with new options, you know, spot hogs got some, some, uh, adjustable sites, five pin sliders, um, Garmin's come out with a range finding site. Burris has an option. If you, if you just go look at the size of those, uh, of sites, they've got, they've all gotten bigger, longer, but they also have gotten heavier. So you're looking at, you know, in the past where a site was six to eight ounces and it was just, you know, a few pins sticking out there in front of you for, for an aiming reference. Now you're looking at sites that are 14, 16 ounces, uh, mounted in the same place, hanging out further from the bow. Um, and to, to, to kind of account for that guys have all gone to stabilization solutions. You know, they don't want to have the bow feeling like it's going to rock out the, out the mount side of their, of their site. So they're using a sidebar mount, they're using longer stabilizers, they're using more weight to account for that. So rigs in general are just getting heavier. Um, for a whitetail guy walking to the tree stand, probably probably not uh, as big of a deal, but it can create some fatigue issues as you as you put more and more weight on the bow. Um, it can, you know, it can affect pin hold uh, depending on what kind of shooting shape you're in. So what we did is completely reposition the the stabilizer. Um, our intent in that lower stabilizer position is is to not use a stabilizer at all at, in the old hole below the grip. We left that there for um, uh, just, um, wrist links. Sorry, I couldn't come up with that. 
uh, we, that, that's, that's literally what it's there for. Now, if you want a traditional setup and you don't want to try that lower stabilizer position, you know, that's, that's fine. We, we expect a lot of people to continue using their, their same setups, but, um, we've dropped that stabilizer position that's there just above the pocket is uh, three inches lower and five inches further forward. So that shortstop stabilizer that comes installed on the bow uh, acts like a full length uh, six to seven inch stabilizer. I mean, it, it is, it's it, the head position of that is literally in the same spot as our fuse torch six inch stabilizer. Um, but now you don't have the bushings, the carbon rod, the extra bolt, and you've got it three inches lower than, than where it was on previous models. So it's designed to replace a traditional stabilizer. You're 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 designed to run it just like this with 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 a what is that two inches long? Yep, yep, yep. I think it's like two, uh, yeah, two and a quarter. Um, and you know, so we've. I mean, it's designed with a with a rubber damper to to improve vibration, but it's also got a uh, a cage around it to add rigidity. So our expectation is that you can, if you want to run. Three, two or three ounces on it, like what, what comes with it. Great. If you want to run eight or 10, more power to you. Um, it's there to be your stabilizing point. The bow, it's going to, the position also acts more like a plumb bob. So you've got more weight. Uh, you can put the same amount of weight and put it way lower um, to, to, for the, for the bow to level up and, uh, t- uh, target acquisition is quicker. Um, it's, it takes less weight to balance the bow, or if you you decide to step up in a sight and, you know, the bow doesn't have to get heavier to account for it in that, in the old position. So, so I, I run my quiver while I'm shooting nearly, nearly a hundred percent of the time. Um, and, and I like to have some weight uh, offset on the other side of the bow. It, I noticed there's some, some holes in the riser, uh, lower in the riser. Are, is there another mounting spot on the side, side of the riser lower where I could run a little sidebar in addition to the shorty? Yeah, so we've got a new uh, SL sidebar mount that's integrated into the side of the riser uh, right below the the quiver hole. Um, okay. And it plugs. So this is uh, it's basically the Hoyt Hardlock adapter. We use uh, tapered cones th- to clamp that whole system together and hold it in place that we've had for a number of years. Um, it's that same uh, tapered cone design, but the, part of the tapers designed right into the side of the riser. So there's no longer a kind of back of the riser rear mounting location um, this just drops one of those tapered cones straight into the the profile of the of the riser uh the mount itself is two and a half ounces lighter than um than the than the previous design nice that's slick yeah there's Very a clean. there's a combination there too there's something else with that short that short stop stabilizer you know um when we put that in place we were really trying to focus again on the the overall the ultimate experience right the ultimate shooting machine and uh you know everything that brian said is exactly correct and i think when you when you put that together with uh that integrated sl sidebar mount you put the shortstop on the front end um it gives you you can end up with a, a system that balances better but actually has a little bit less weight in it um so it gives you some options there but something that i wanted to touch on uh, is that when we went through all of our noise and vibration analysis right we did all of that without that stabilizer on there and so you may not even be able to tell that that stabilizer is there if you were to take it off just from a noise and vibration standpoint you know that lower mount position absolutely uh gives that that lower center of mass it acts like that plumb bob effect that brian was talking about uh if you took it off you'd notice that 
really quickly, uh, especially you guys, you know, the amount of shooting that you do. So a um, couple of things that just we really didn't touch on, but we um, I want to make sure I think, you know, one of the things that we experienced at like the trade show when guys are shooting bows, you know, they'll come up and they'll spin the stabilizer off and be like, yeah, that's cheating. We want to know what this thing does without it. Well, we wanted to know what it did without it, too. And the reason that it comes with a bow is because we think it's important enough um, from a standpoint of like, we really want you to use this, but we didn't want people to just kind of go buy it and go, yeah, yeah, yeah. They got this two inch stabilizer. So we just decided the heck with it. We're going to put it on every single one and you have to take it off if you don't want to use it. But we think it's important enough that we're going to put it on every bow. That's so cool. Yeah. When, when we talk about like vibration and shot and, uh, sh- shot noise any of those type of improvements uh it's important to note that all of that is without that front short stop stabilizer um so we we set our own goals there later on in the in the development cycle as a as an organization we decided you know what we want people to experience the stabilizer like zach talked about so we're going to include it in the box but i think uh when we talk about shot experience it would be easy to just say oh they added a stabilizer to the front of the bow and of course it's going to shoot a little bit better um but all of our testing, uh, the entire product cycle is done without that. That is an accessory feature uh, that, that we want people to experience on the bow itself. But feel free to unthread that off there and, and shoot it again. Um, it, it is not a uh, cornerstone of, of those improvements by any means. So I have a question real quick, guys. Um, so in years past, part of what I perceived to be how you got the Hoyt feel because a Hoyt has a different feel than any other bow out there. Um, I always told people when I was asking, what are you talking about? For a lack of a better way of putting it, I'm steadier at full draw. Aiming is easier with a Hoyt bow. Hoyt's typically balanced at the throat of the grip. Um, and I'm, I'm just anecdotally balancing this bow with this bottom stabilizer on. And it seems like, Right there's my balance point, right at the throat of the grip. Is was that designed and intended that way with that bottom stabilizer on there? Uh, yes and no. I mean, it, it's not a, a ton of weight as it comes in the box. You know, I mean, it's a three or four ounce a, addition to the bottom end there. Um, we have always uh, kind of kept that in our. Um, that's an important point when we, when it comes to riser design, because over the years we've made adjustments to vertical grip position, you know, at one point Hoyt compound bows were, you know, center gripped. Um, it changes the way you have to develop cams for delivery. And so over time we have lowered that grip position. Uh, the Venom and RX five series bows have the same vertical grip position that Axios and RX four did. So no changes there. Um, so the balance and, and the feel expectation should be very similar in that regard in terms of how the, what in mass distribution throughout the, for the entire system for the bow itself and then how it sets up for you um that stabilizer just helps helps that further especially on the aluminum bows um where, you, where weight distribution is a little different it's that's great news on on uh, the grip position i the rx4 ultra um i, I it's just it, the the best shooting bow i've i've had in my life i, I go back at 100 yards behind my house and, and I just, I group them right into a 3d target all day long. It just, it doesn't miss. I mean, I, I love that bow. And so I'm, I'm really glad I haven't had a chance to shoot, shoot my Ventum at distance yet. I'm really glad it, it feels good when I hold it, 
at full draw, but I was wondering if there were any changes made to the geometry. So that's really great to hear because I, I don't know <laughs> the arcs for ultra man, if it ain't fixed, don't, or if it ain't broke, don't fix it. As far as, as far as the way that thing holds, holy smokes. Um, one question guys, uh, about, so, so being a Hoyt guy, I honestly don't work on other bows a lot. And so I don't, I don't know. And I'm sure, you know, a lot of our listeners may, may be in the same boat. Like, I don't know how other cam systems work that well. And so like this weekend, um, Kevin and I were figuring some things out with the new cam system that, that, you know, like for example, the, the spacers and, and things like that. So is there anything else that you think that I should know, or, or somebody who, who works on their bow at home or even bow techs in the shop that, that have, um, that are going to be working on these new bows, like for example, timing, you know, adjusting the timing, different things like that. Is there anything else we should know how to do that will be different than what we're used to with the cam and the cam and a half? Uh, yeah. Timing's a, a a good point to cover. Cam and a half system has two different cables. Um, like uh, we mentioned earlier, you know, one bus cable ties to the limb and then to the cam and then the control cable comes uh, from the let out groove in the bottom and then hooks up to the take up in the top. That's what slaves those two cams together and keeps them moving together. This system has two identical cables. Um, so the, each cable served in the same locations as well. So if you pull them off and you think I've got them on the wrong end or I'm going to mess them up, it's nothing, nothing you need to chase down there. As far as timing goes straight up and down is the best place to start. Uh, Hoyt with cam and a half systems in the past, you know, there's always been this, you know, you can time it dead up. Uh, de- you know, dead straight up, top and bottom. But you know, if you're if you're a guy who shoots them enough, you eventually start to maybe time the top cam a little ahead, um, and that's just due to the to those two cables being different and li- and be- having different tensions at full draw. And so, if you look at cam and a half systems today, you'll see like our mod stop or our peg or our foot, any of those things on a cam and a half system, the top's a little further out in the cam from the bottom. Uh, that's to account for that that difference in tension with this new cam system. The cables are at the same tension. The cables are, are manufactured exactly the same. Um, so what you'll see is, um, less change over time because they're manufactured exactly the same to the same length to the same serving locations. They hook up in the same places. Once you time this cam system and recommend it is just going to be straight up and down, dead, even top and bottom. Uh, you're going to see less migration change over time. You know, if, if you're a Hoyt guy, you know, you're, you're, if you're adjusting timing, you're just going to put a, put a twist or a half a twist or whatever in a bus cable. That's where your stretch is going to come from. Uh, these cables are going to move exactly the same minor differences. Uh, over time very nice anything else you can think of guys that that we should know i don't uh how about these little holes on the front of this riser up here by the site <laughs> nice tell us about these babies <laughs> they look suspicious <laughs> well so the, <laughs> you you would you would put it that way Danny. <laughs> uh those little site those little holes on the front of the rope the bow there um those uh those handle the new Picatinny rail, which is going to be our in for our inline sight system. So, uh, if you if you've spent any time with a rifle, whether it be a black gun or just a long rifle, uh, in the last I don't know fifty years, you probably know what a Picatinny rail is. Um, gives you a lot of opportunity to mount accessories all over, um, rifles, and we kind of thought, man, what would what would be a, a different cool way to 
to mount a sight to a bow would be, uh, let's get that weight more in line. Cause everything, you know, you mount your side on that side, you mount your quiver on that side. And, and Alan made the comment earlier, he likes to have a little bit of weight over there, but man, it drives me crazy. I can't stand it. What I was saying is I need to have weight on the other side to offset it. So if I could get rid of the weight on that side, that would be nice. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's, that's the, then I misunderstood you. So I apologize for that, but on that is the whole idea and, uh, and thought process around that integrated site system. So, you know, you take the mass of that site and you move it, you know, in towards the site window about three eighths of an inch, maybe even closer to a full inch, depending on what the site is. And so that's a pretty big move when it comes from when you're talking about leverage. Um, and so one of the things when we started work going down that road, we thought, well, you know, do we want this to just be a Hoyt thing or do we want, you know, do we want partners from a, from a site standpoint? And so, um, we have been working with a few site manufacturers. Um, those, those will be unveiled, uh, this Wednesday when we launch our product. And, uh, and so it's not just going to be a Hoyt or, or a few site. It's going to be, uh, some other pretty serious site companies that y'all have heard of. So, um, yeah, we're pretty excited about that. And the integrated rest falls right in, in line, correct? It, it, yeah. The, the same story. Yep. yep. The continue, we're continuing our partnership with QAD. We've been selling their rest for quite a number of years. And last year we got on board with the integrate um, and it's been extremely well accepted. Um, same thing, right? Just, you know, nice solid locking position kind of moves that weight more in line with the riser structure. Uh, so yeah, it matches up real nice for us. Yeah, on, on that note too, you know, as you think about, you know, Zach's talked about the kind of the ultimate shooting experience. It made that mention that a couple times. Uh, if you think about removing the the rest mount with a, a QAD and a great rest, you take all that off the side of the bow, and then you t- talk about removing your sight block off that side of the bow. The the that all sounds great from a weight reduction standpoint, but what it does is allow you to be way more flexible in what you do with, with your quiver. Um, uh, Hoyt, Hoyt quivers are already super lightweight. Um, we offer a couple, we offer like four different standoff links. So for your particular application, you can switch top and bottom lengths in a, in a two, in a two piece, uh, quiver design. Um, we allow you to kind of adjust those. And so we've just taken off what, what Zach mentioned, you know, especially in like a, uh, a dovetail type site block. I mean, there's a huge, uh, gain in clearance there where you're going to be able to grab one of those other site mounts or quiver mounts and maybe scoot it in a little bit, get a little bit closer, um, uh, for us. We just kind of custom machine our own links down to where to where we want to want to plug them in on the riser. But um, you've got some options now, and and of course, new products coming in the future that will uh, really expand on that clearance that that we've gained in in those features. Well, I've been telling Zach for years that if he was a good engineer, he'd figure out how to put that quiver directly in line with my string. But he hasn't figured that out yet. <laughs> to completely eliminate that weight over there. I, yeah, was, I, I was so hoping you wouldn't bring that up today. <laughs> <laughs> you work on it, Zach. <clears throat> um, let me see. I know that there was something else that I wanted to ask about this. Alan, or, or, or is there anything else that you can think of? Well, I have one question about the, the pick rail. Do you guys, in your opinion, um, so I run like a dovetail bar. And I, I take my side off when I'm backpacking because I do really hardcore backcountry stuff and and i strap my 
bow to my pack and, and sometimes I fall, I don't want my sight there. So I take it off with that dovetail and I put the sight in my pack. And when I put it back on, that dovetail, it is in exactly the same spot. Unquestionably, I feel very confident taking it on and off and it's going to shoot the same. Uh, would I have experienced the same thing with a pick rail? That is the objective. Yes. Yeah. Uh, okay. I, I'm, I'm not going to tell you to just 100% believe, right? Test it. You know, yeah. try it. But yep. you know, that is the expectation. I mean, it's the same thing when it comes to like rifle scopes. You know, the whole when you mount a rifle scope to a pick rail, um, the expectation is when you put that thing back on there, it, it lands in the same split in the same place. And so it's uh, I, I think that a pick rail is actually a little bit beefier dovetail system than than what we've traditionally seen in, in the in the ar- archery industry. But, you know, on the front end, um, yeah, you should be able to have that that same feature available to you to be able to take that side off and run it in your backpack. Well, I'll tell you guys that how heavy my bow has gotten in recent years because of the increased weight of the sights and, and, uh, you know, the quiver hanging off the side too far away in my opinion. And then, and then to offset that, what I was saying earlier is I have to put a huge side, you know, heavy sidebar on the other side. And that's what I was talking about earlier to make my bow feel balanced. And so then I'm redoubling that same weight on, on the other side of the bow and my bows are just getting ridiculously heavy. I feel, and I I'm so excited about a lot of this stuff you're talking about because it, you know, if, if I can reduce the weight on the right side of my bow, I get double the benefit because I get to take that same amount of weight off the left side of my bow. And, uh, for one, I don't have to pack it up the mountain. And for two, when I, when I switch out of my, my indoor rig, each year and I go outside and I start shooting my hunting rig with full quiver full of arrows and all this side weight. I'm like, Oh my gosh, this bow is a pain to hold compared to my indoor rig. And, uh, and I don't like that feeling. And so, yeah, you get used to it, but I'd rather have just a lighter setup. So I'm so excited about some of these, these little tweaks, you know, that, that you're making that, that to that end, it's pretty cool. So, one other question about the pick, uh, the Picatinny rail setup, and when you go with that sight system, how are we going to mount the quiver from there on out? Are you relegated to having to use a two-piece quiver, or are you going to still be able to mount a single-piece quiver with the regular sight holes on the side of the bow? So on the Ventum series bows, you'll still have the regular sight holes, uh, but the the system that we had to get, the way we designed the pick rail for the RX five series, you won't have those sight mount holes. So we kind of use those to uh, build the adapter plate and how that has to go around because it's nice on aluminum, right? I just put a couple of screw holes there and I can bolt that pick rail to it, no problem. But sure. carbon doesn't like it very much when you drill holes in it, right. so we couldn't do that obviously. So we built a, a, a pretty cool system and, and the way that plugs in. Um, so to answer your question, Danny, on the RX five series, you will, ha- you will have to use kind of a, a quiver that mounts with the hex uh, quiver mounting locations, either on the top or the bottom or both. If you're in a two piece, um, our shorty quiver mounts just into that top hole. And then our two piece utilizes both the top and the bottom quiver mount positions. Um, and then on the Ventum series, um, obviously you'll you'll still have those sight holes. Uh, you'll be able to bolt a more of a standard, you know, one piece, uh, one quiver. piece quiver. Yeah, yeah. Uh, something else just important to note: those are those pick rails are coming with those bows. So you know, as a consumer picks one of those up, um, they're it's not something that they have to go buy. You know, the Picatinny rail will come in their kit. Uh, in every bow that we ship out, it has a, has the owner's manual in it, usually like a sticker, you know, some swag of some sort. Um, but it'll also have your, your pick rail kit 
in there. And on the Venoms, it'll have the mounting hardware. And, and then on the RX-5 side, it'll have everything you need uh, to make that conversion to your, to your carbon bow. That's great. Outstanding. Well, guys, that, this is exciting. I, I can't wait to continue to shoot this bow this week and, uh, and, and see the launch. I think, I, you know, we're, we're filming this uh, or we're recording this barely pre-launch. Yeah. But anybody yeah. listening to this, of course, it'll be after the launch. So, um, I mean, this is all happening within a matter of days. I think the launch is happening uh, tomorrow. So, it's it's pretty exciting, and uh, I, that's all I got. Does anybody, Danny? Do you have anything else? Or I don't think so, guys. Uh, I just wanted to say, job well done. Uh, it, there was a noticeable, you know, you, you're always told, "Oh man, this one's related. This one's this one's the greatest. It's revolutionary. It's this and that." Truth be told, when I got this thing and shot it the first few shots, I knew instantly that there is a noticeable difference. There is definite improvements in performance and feel and uh, you know that's that's the result of good engineering and as much as it pains me to give zach kurtzall's you know uh, a compliment zach <laughs> zach and brian you boys did it well thank you good job well done yeah i think just just the, the last thing you know brian and i got the opportunity today to to represent but there's a lot of guys on this engineering team guys and gals for that matter who uh put a ton of blood sweat and tears into this so this is a team effort you know just like always i think we 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 try to say we uh we take a pack of wolves mentality when it comes to to getting through problems and and uh solving problems within the within the archery world so um very thankful for the team that we have and the amount of work that they've all put in this year so uh yeah it's going to be a fun year we're looking forward to it. Congratulate all of them because I think you hit a home run, honestly, buddy. Thanks, Danny. <laughs> yeah, thanks, guys. It's awesome. Well, that's it. That's it for today, guys. And uh, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having us. Everybody, get out there and pick one of these up and shoot it. You're going to be impressed. <laughs> <laughs>